Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast. Remember the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot here uh, because we are in uh, applications mode for pharmacy schools. And I'm going to do a quick 20 questions, uh, 20 pre-pharmacy questions and answers. Uh, part of my role here at, uh, is to be a pre-pharmacy advisor, talk to students who are interested in pharmacy, and uh, kind of go through the things that they'll need to do uh, to get to pharmacy school. And uh, for the most part, they're deciding between uh, two schools, uh, Drake and, and Iowa here uh, in, in state. Uh, but uh, sometimes they, they think about other schools outside of the state. But if you go over all of the emails I get and, and social media kind of contacts and things like that, I might talk to up to 500 pre-pharmacy students in a year, which would represent, oh gosh, probably about 4% of the people that are applying to pharmacy school in a given year. So when it comes to the questions that they're asking, I have a pretty good idea of uh, some of the things they're asking. What I want to do is not only uh, give you those questions and some answers, but also some resources to kind of go along with it. Uh, so the first question uh, I got was, is it easier to get into a private school, uh, pharmacy school, than it is to get into a public school? And what I would first say is that I don't know if that's the right question to ask. Uh, the question you want to ask is, uh, how many years is it going to take me to do the pre-pharmacy requirements for the school? And there are a number of real barriers to, to getting into pharmacy school, and one of them is biochemistry. So when you talk about the co courses that are available at a community college, for instance, uh, biochemistry is usually not one of them. Now, as a community college student here, uh, you would be able to take biochemistry for free at Iowa State if you are a full-time 12-credit student. So it would be possible to do here. Uh, also, you'd be able to take physics. Some, some schools still require physics. Uh, you could do that here too. Uh, but uh, you know, my thing with the pharmacy school in terms of getting in is that all of the courses you should need to take uh, can be at a community college, which is generally uh, much, much cheaper. Uh, again, it costs uh, just under $5,000 a year uh, to go to community college here. And then we also have links with Drake, Grandview, and uh, Iowa State, where you could take a, a course for free each semester after your first. Uh, how do I get pharmacy experience in a job or summer internship? Uh, that's a little bit tougher because you really probably need to be 18 now with some of the laws regarding uh, pharmacy uh, interns and things like that. And when I say, I, I should say pharmacy technicians or pharmacy technician trainees, uh, those kinds of things. So uh, it really kind of depends on the law of your state. But shadowing is actually much, much more difficult now than it used to be in the old days where it's like, okay, well, I just want to kind of check it out and see what's going on. And, and now that's not necessarily something that you can do readily. Uh, but many people do become pharmacy technicians, even for a few hours a week. Uh, I actually did it on campus at the University of Maryland. Uh, and there's a pharmacy on campus. And, and I was able to, to work like four hours a week or, or volunteer for four hours a week, something like that. Uh, how old can prereqs be? Uh, this is the group of people that are coming back for second careers and, and maybe they've taken some of the classes earlier. I think that really what they care about are the science classes and the math classes. How close are those uh, to when you are getting in there? And to be honest, pharmacy has changed so much that uh, it's really more about communication than anything else. So the, the English class and the speech class are probably more important 
uh, than many of the others now, just in terms of how much we talk to the patients. Let's see, do you need pharmacy experience? You do not. You don't, you don't have to have been in a pharmacy before to get in uh, to pharmacy school. Obviously, it's a good thing to, to know uh, what it's about and what you're going to be getting out of it. Um, but yeah, you, you don't need it. Uh, maybe it's some of the toughest schools, uh, but right now the uh, acceptance rate is right around 88%. So uh, I would say uh, you wouldn't really need to worry about pharmacy experience as much. Is it harder to get accepted to a school from out of state? Uh, that depends. I know that North Carolina's laws for at least undergrad, they require that 85% uh, of the students come from in-state. So in a case like that, yeah, it would probably be tougher. But uh, right now, uh, three schools are that I know of. Uh, I know Idaho State and Medical University of South Carolina and University of Illinois Chicago and Rockford campus uh, all give the same tuition for an out-of-state student as an in-state student. So obviously, uh, they very much want those out-of-state students to come in and provide some diversity to their classes. So I would say it in general, it's probably not harder uh, to get in to get into a school from out of state. Uh, how can you get an application waiver? So first of all, which waiver are you getting? Are you getting the $175 first one? So the it, this is it's a little bit weird. The first school you apply to is $175, and then every school after that is $55. And what's happening is that because you can get an there are some schools where you can get an admissions decision on the day. So they have like a couple of days in the fall where you you sign up for that day. It's an interview day. They'll look at your transcripts, which you give them at least 72 hours ahead of time, and you'll get a decision that day. So what I'm seeing now is rather than rolling admissions where people are accepted on a rolling basis, I'm seeing rolling applications where a student will pay the $175 or maybe get the waiver for the $175 and only apply to one school. And if they get in and there's an 88% chance overall, like it, it depends on the school, uh, that they're going to get in. So nine times out of 10, basically, they're, they're going to get in. There's no reason to spend any more than $175. And that's what I'm seeing is, is rolling applications, especially with how quickly decisions are being made, uh, usually within a week or two at most. Uh, but you talk to the school individually. Uh, not that many schools are actually participating in the waivers. I personally think that it would be worth pharmacy, the pharmacy world's uh, $3 million that it would cost to get everybody a free application, uh, but that's, that's me. Uh, but you have to talk to the individual schools to get those waivers. Uh, do I need to graduate from my two-year school or four-year school? So let's start with the two-year school. Uh, this is kind of something that's a little bit upsetting, especially to the community colleges, that because it's so science heavy and it doesn't necessarily require some of the humanities and uh, diversity classes that we require for uh, associates, sometimes a student will have many more credits than the 64 required to get a degree or the 60 required to get a degree at a community college, yet they will not graduate because they're taking all science classes and they haven't taken those liberal arts and social science classes that are uh, necessary for the degree. But you don't need to graduate. You just need to fulfill the requirements for the school. And then do you need to graduate from a four-year school? I think there was one school, but I don't think any school anymore requires a four-year school degree to get into pharmacy school. That's medical school where you need that. Uh, how many pharmacy schools do I need to apply to to get admitted? 
Well, again, that's a rolling thing where now it's, okay, you apply to the one school, then you apply to the next school, and then apply to the next school. But the average student, I can tell you, is applying to two and a half schools. And to get admitted, I mean, your, your chances are nine out of 10, then nine out of 10. So I think it's an independent thing, and, and it kind of depends on where you're applying. So, you know, if you're applying to the very toughest schools in the country, it may take you a couple more, but a couple of applications would probably do it. Um, how do I apply to pharmacy school if I already go to a college with a pharmacy school? Oh, well, <laughs> you could literally walk up to the pharmacy school and say, hey, you know, what, what do I do? And what they're going to do is they're going to point you to the, the FarmCast website. Probably. Uh, not, all, not all schools participate in that. But P-H-A-R-M-C-A-S. Uh, is uh, what you would uh, do for for that, and uh, you're you, you know you could go talk to them, but uh, everything's online, and, and you wouldn't necessarily need to do that. Uh, how can I tell how diverse a school is? Usually, schools are pretty proud of their entering class and what's called the white coat ceremony. So the white coat ceremony is when you go in and they give you a white coat. Usually, one of the alumni pays for the white coat. And you get the white coat that you're going to use for your labs and everything. And it's a picture of the entire school or the entire entering class. So you can get a good idea of the diversity of the school by looking at that single picture. That's probably the easiest way uh, to see. Uh, in terms of undergraduate, you could look at one of those college guides or something like that. Uh, what schools require the pharmacy college admissions test? I think that's done. I, I don't uh, when I looked last time, there was no school that required it, like you can't get in without it. But there are schools that have some kind of caveats, like if your GPA is this, well, we would want to see a PCAT. Uh, we want to see a certain PCAT score and things like that. Okay. All right. Well, let me refer you to the first of the three resources. Uh, I wrote a book called Community College Pre-Med Classes because what happens is, is somebody will come into community college saying, I want to be a physician or I want to be a pharmacist or I want to be a nurse. And as they're taking the classes, they kind of find that, well, maybe the other direction is better or something like that. And what I do is I use the pre-med classes here at Des Moines Area Community College, and I use the actual course codes. So you can actually look at the courses when they're offered, like organic one in fall, organic two in spring, maybe organic one over summer. It kind of depends, uh, those kinds of things. And really... I think that spending the hour and listening to community college pre-med classes would really give you a much better understanding of how pre-pharmacy isn't a major, pre-nursing isn't a major, pre-med isn't a major, but it's simply a number of requirements that kind of come together. And that was a narrator Braden Wright. I also did it in Spanish. Uh, I have, I translate, I'm, I'm fluent. My dad's uh, from Peru and so I speak Spanish. Um, so it's colegio. Universitario, Comunitario, Classes para Estudiantes que Siguen Medicina, which is just a translation of community college classes for students who study medicine. And this is by Nicolas Villanueva. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we had that availability of both Spanish and English. And it's the same thing. Uh, we have classes uh, that uh, it's a little bit tough in translation sometimes. And I try to, to make it as clear as possible in, in both languages. Okay? But that's the first thing, is to really get an understanding of the pre-med classes. And kind of going back to the easiest pharmacy school to get into, what I would really look at is 
you know, am I going to have to spend an extra year in college because this school requires like biochemistry or physics or something that's kind of an oddball that not all the schools really require? And is that really going to hold me back a whole year? Uh, is that something that's going to happen? But getting kind of the idea of, okay, well, calculus, when do I take that versus statistics? The, you know, the chemistry series, inorganic one, inorganic two, uh, organic one, organic two. Some schools require a net and fizz, some don't. So I think that, you know, spending that hour and a half or an hour with that book uh, really helps. And again, any of these books you can get, uh, try for, for free on Audible if you've never been there before. Uh, careers, I'll just talk briefly about careers because uh, I think that some of the, the questions uh, show that there's really <laughs> that people don't really know what pharmacists do still. Okay, And so they'll ask what are some pharmacist careers and I know there's a handout with like a hundred different things that pharmacists can do. And I, I don't know if that's really something that's as useful as maybe kind of a playlist of videos or a playlist of hearing about people's jobs. And this kind of goes on to question 13, which is what are some non-traditional careers? And then 14, where do your graduates work? So actually finding out where the graduates of the school that you're going to apply to, where are they now? What, what are they doing uh, in general? And so I wrote this book, Finding Your Unicorn Job for Pharmacists. A unicorn job is a job that perfectly fits you. It's like a unicorn. You found it, you know, and, it's, and, and often uh, some people make their own jobs, which is even more exciting. But there are many, many uh, dozens in, uh, of jobs in here. And even the narrator, uh, Mike Lenz, who was a pharmacist, is still a pharmacist. I'm sure he has his license still, uh, is a professional narrator, and that's what he does for a living. But really looking for that financial freedom, flexible hours, and personal fulfillment. Uh, what are the kinds of jobs you're going to get there? But I think that that was really unclear for a lot of the uh, people that I've talked to is, you know, well, what am I going to get into? I, I've seen the CVS pharmacist and the Hy-Vee pharmacist and the Walgreens pharmacist. Uh, I know that they work in hospitals, sometimes in the basement. Uh, what are some other jobs that we can do? And I think that that's why uh, video would be so key. But also, you know, just listening to three hours or four hours of jobs that are available and entrepreneurs that have made their own jobs, I think that that also uh, is really valuable. Uh, part three was finances. So what is the average tuition for pharmacy school? Uh, you're only going to apply to a couple of schools. So what you really want to do is figure out how do I compare to how much people owe at the end of the journey? So at the end of the journey, if you're going to a public school, uh, the average debt is going to be $140,000. If you're at a private school, the average debt is going to be $200,000. So as you're putting your financial plan together, what you can do is say, okay, here I am at the finish line. This is what I've budgeted for those three or four years. And let's say if you're going to a public school, it comes out to uh, $90,000. Well, you're doing very well. Uh, you're way under the $140,000 average. Or if you're going to a private school, I owe $150,000. Still a lot of money, but still $50,000 below uh, the average of the 84% that do have student debt at the end. 16% uh, of graduating students don't have any debt at all. Should I take private loans for pharmacy school? Um... So I, I don't know why anyone would need to take private loans in this environment where 
you can go to three schools out of state at in-state prices. Uh, I know University of Tennessee is extremely economical out of state. Uh, and then Knoxville itself is one of the most uh, reasonable cities uh, to live in, in terms of cost. So when you look at um, taking private school loans, maybe maybe this is easier for me to say. Uh, I was I put on a calculator for uh, $80,000 worth of private loans. And I think the interest rate was like 10.5% or almost 11%. It might be even higher with what the Fed just did. And at that number, if you paid that $80,000 back after going to four years of school and paid it back over 15 years, you would owe a quarter of a million dollars. So you would triple how much you owe. So when we're talking about, you know, should I take private loans to, you know, go to the school that I want to go to, which is much more expensive, you're, you really want to look at the actual amount you're paying back, not the amount you're taking out. So I'll say that again. You want to look at the amount you're paying back, not how much you're taking out. Uh, how do I know what scholarships I can get? Are there minority student scholarships? Uh, yeah, they, they don't call them minority student scholarships. They call them like equity scholarships or access scholarships. There's even scholarships for out-of-staters uh, where they'll give you a bit of a discount uh, or something like that. So scholarships are very school dependent. Uh, I know Drake and I think Belmont provide 25000 a year for some students uh, to private tuition. So it's going to still be, uh, you know, up there, but it's going to be very comparable with a state school. But uh, in terms of uh, minority student scholarships, again, it really depends on the school. And uh, that's that's what I would look at. So I think that really you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by only applying to one or two schools, the average you know, being two and a half, because you really have no idea how much less you could have paid if you had applied to 10 or 12 schools. And you say, well, that would cost you know, okay, well, 55 times 10 is 550 plus 175, so 675, you know, 725. So it'd be like 725 for 11 schools. And say, oh my gosh, $700, that's so much money. Yes, what you're saying is true. $700 is a lot of money, especially if you're making 15 an hour. But when you look at what you owe at the end, and what you could owe if you apply to 11 schools, med students apply to 16 on average. So that's not even there. That's not even near there. So my recommendation would be apply to many, many schools. Find out where the best deal is if you're able to, to be that kind of flexible. And I think you'd be really surprised with how well you could do. And, and I, I guarantee you would get that $700 back many times over. Uh, can I work during school? I've heard that working during three-year schools, so the ones that go year-round, summers and fall, spring, is extremely hard. But that being said, the question is what kind of school? So I understand when, when you go to the presentation for the school, ask them how long you're in class because some schools are in class for like six to eight hours a day. And that is just really hard because okay, you're trying to absorb eight hours. You want to take a break, work out some, study some where's the job in there? And if you talk to Sydney Day, who wrote the debt-free pharmacy student with me, uh, she was working at Starbucks really early in the morning and lifeguarded in the summer and then worked at a pharmacy in the afternoons. And that was something that worked for her. But she went to a four-year school in-state where she lived, so she knew a lot of people and those kinds of things. So 
Um, yes, you can work during school. But when I think about work, what I did and what Sydney did is we did work outside of pharmacy. So I worked at Pizzeria Uno on the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. And that was just a great way to get away from all the pharmacy thing and just have a different outlet, a different group of friends. And I know that she worked at the pool as a, as a pool manager and worked at Starbucks uh, with also. So, yeah, you can. And I think that it can be done. The other thing is, is that you might start thinking about jobs that don't actually require you to do quotation fingers real work. You just have to be there. I remember going up to, if you're at the University of Maryland, because we're in the middle of Baltimore City, everything goes up. So on the top of the parking garage is the campus fitness center. And at the desk is somebody who's always doing their homework. And just like you're just kind of sliding or swiping your card to get in, but they're getting all their homework done while they're getting paid. So that kind of job, yeah, you know, you could do that while you're in pharmacy school, absolutely. And then there's no credit for working more hours. So you don't get a residency because you did 20 hours a week at a hospital every week. You only need to work like four hours a week at most, you know, maybe eight, 16 hours a week but you don't get any extra credit for that. You just want to get exposed to it, show them that you've worked in a hospital for residency, show them that you've worked in the community for community pharmacy. Are online schools easier than in-person pharmacy schools? How do I do online labs? Okay, so let's start with, are they easier? So the program is going to be the same. You're going to have the same types of tests and things like that. I think that if you would have had a long commute, it would be a lot easier on your life. But I think it's actually harder to get through online because you have to be so accountable to yourself. You don't have that other group of students to, to kind of work with you. And it's tough to join the clubs and everything if you're not actually in the state and in and with them. And really, the clubs and organizations was such a big part of my pharmacy school career that uh, I can't imagine having gone to an online school. But I don't believe the content is easier. Uh, and then the labs, my understanding is that sometimes you'll come in for a week or weekends and, and do some labs and things like that. Uh, and it's kind of a boot camp type uh, labs. You just get them all done in a couple days or something like that. And then the fourth year, I don't believe, is online. Like you're actually going to the sites just like anybody else. But because you are in a different state than the mothership, a lot of times you have to be the one reaching out to these places and seeing if you can do it. So sometimes you're a little bit more limited with, with what you can get depending on where it is you live. So if you live in a really rural environment, uh, you may have to travel quite a bit uh, to get to your sites and things like that. Uh, and then question number 20, dual degrees. Is a PharmD PhD a good idea? Do I have to pay more for the second degree? Uh, PharmD PhD, that's a really long road. Uh, you may not pay for pharmacy school if you do have a PhD going. A lot of times the PhD program will pay for your uh, tuition and or make it so you don't have to pay tuition uh, and then you'll get a stipend on top of it. Uh, but that's a really researchy degree. And then in terms of paying more for the second, maybe for like an, an MBA or uh, some of the other degrees, you could pay like a nominal fee, a couple thousand dollars, but it really depends on the school. Uh, but something like law school, yeah, you would you would pay some more. But I think the benefit usually is is one less year of work in, in the program or something like that. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll just kind of point you to this book that um, when it comes to finances, the, the debt-free pharmacy student, uh, where we do talk about, uh, you know, kind of 
some of those things where, you know, talking about tuition, talking about loans, talking about working uh, while you're in school. So, okay, well, that was the list. Uh, hopefully these answers are helpful for you as you're kind of looking to begin your pharmacy journey. Uh, if you're somebody who's you know, trying to you know, help a student out, somebody that saw you went to pharmacy school and they want to get a better idea of what's going on, uh, hopefully these uh, questions help them as well. So got any questions for me, Tony the Pharmacist at gmail.com.